everybody, welcome back to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. This month, we are talking about the different ways that all of us are ableist, the ways that we that we see disabilities and, and maybe differently abled people. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined here by Darren. Hey, hey. Stacy. Howdy. And Sarah. Hey, everyone. But I'm trying to, it, 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 my hesitance is like, I know it's very, very touchy in mm-hmm. certain parts of that community of what are the proper terms. Because I feel like I've heard, I've heard, it may have been Sunny, and I meant, I meant to ask her about this, use diverse abilities. But then I got reamed for using that. I was gonna say it is a it is a oh. hotly contested. Thing. I'm like, mm, I don't know what to say. I don't want to like. Yeah, I, I use disability because the disability out of advocates in my life use that language to describe themselves okay. and their experience, and it is it is political. They're talking about what society does to them, not what there's. They're not describing how their bodies are quote unquote dysfunctional. Mm. Um, but parents and advocates for disability, disabled people are often trying to like change the perspective of you're not disabled, you're just differently abled, or they're trying to present this idea that, um, they're trying to lessen the stigma of being disabled. Um, but again, the, the advocates I'm listening to are saying, but at, but when you're not around with your nice language, they still have to use these very specific terms to advocate mm. for themselves mm-hmm. and to make it clear is like, no, like the disability act and, you know, such and mm-hmm. such and such. They have to use those words to describe their experience so that they can get the support that they need. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a back and forth. Like I, I remember when I heard somebody use learning differences because that really is the way that my mom, um, not that she described me that way, but the way that she just embraces educating, like everyone has different learning styles and modalities. And so there's no, there's nothing wrong with people needing different methods to learn. Um, But that, that language also comes from the idea of trying to take away the stigma of learning disability or learning delay. Um, And I've heard some people use learning learning uh, differences as an empowering thing for themselves, and I've heard other people use it as a way to to not say the the disabled word. Um, so yeah, welcome to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. <laughs> and and maybe and maybe this is the first episode of the series where we're trying to kind of navigate this for ourselves. Um, we might have to do an intro at the end again. Yeah, we're, like, yeah, we're we're like in it, right? <laughs> um, but my my oldest, and this is actually surprisingly hard for me to talk about. I didn't realize that until this very moment. Um, my oldest, he didn't actually talk until he was until after he was three years old. Um. The first two years of my marriage and and of of his life, we lived with my parents, and so he got a lot of Spanish and a lot of English in in the home. 
Um, and then we moved to California and it was just us and it was just English. And a year later, he still hadn't started speaking. Um, and somebody, uh, several people actually suggested that maybe he could be on the autism spectrum. And we started going down that rabbit hole, so to speak, of getting him tested and seeing a child psychologist and, and talking to his doctor. Um, and what, what everybody came to the consensus of was that he was not on the spectrum, but, but it was simply, quote, quote, a speech delay. And so he has an IEP uh, with the school district, and he has an action plan of, of helping him develop his language and his vocabulary. And at five, almost six years old, it's, it's amazing the progress he's made because at his last testing last year, I believe, at the end of, of the 2019-2020 school year, um, the, the speech pathologist said that he's at a level of, like his, his vocabulary is at the level of a seven or eight-year-old. Um, and that was when he was four years old. So like he's, he almost doubled his vocabulary capacity, so to speak. Yeah. And I didn't know, like, like when we started going through uh, through that whole process of discovering and researching and trying to figure out exactly what was happening and how to help him, I was suddenly in this space of kind of where we're at now in this conversation. I was in this space of, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to advocate for him. I don't know how to help him. I don't know how to do anything for this beautiful little boy that I've been entrusted with. Um, and that's a very scary feeling. Like, I I didn't know what to do with that. I, I And like I said, now that I've, now that I started kind of verbalizing it here, I realized that Hey, maybe maybe there's still something that I haven't like fully worked through with that, and so you know, sorry for me kind of stumbling over words. Well, no, I I, I think what you're saying. I mean, we actually have again in the Bible where they said, "Whose fault is it?" Or, yeah, whose fault is it that this man was born blind? Because mm -hmm. the theology was that children who were disabled were it was a punishment for what something that the parents or the, or someone earlier in the generation had done. Um, and so there was this idea that disability, that um, having some kind of delay, anything like that was culturally some kind of fault. And I think we still socialize that idea that, Oh, if there's something, if there's something difficult, if there's something atypical, I think is the word I want to use, um, mm -hmm. that it must, you know, like that somehow you're at fault or that you're supposed to just know how to how to be supportive of your child's differences, even though most of our society never talks about this stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I, I say all that to say I really like have a lot of compassion for you in that uncertainty and that um, questioning. Uh, 
because we're in a society where everyone's like got a million things to say about what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to mm-hmm. do. And mm-hmm. if you get vaccines, then what's that going to do to your child? And, you know, there's so much going on and there's a lot we just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Even as you mentioned mm-hmm. autism, um, I'm, I'm very recently learning that the entire assessment and criteria for establishing if someone's autistic all of that was made by two white men who only studied white boys yep and so women people of color like typically don't get diagnosed until they're later in their adult lives because the criteria is so skewed toward one specific demographic and even the, the term like high functioning was an outgrowth of one of the uh, what, uh, Asperger's uh, of that that researchers deciding that he wanted to work with these specific boys, and so the boys that he chose were the ones who um, who would be considered uh, high functioning, and the high functioning ones were the basically just the ones that he wanted to to work with. That's it. That's really the only difference. Um, it's not. It's not, it's not like a, again, it's not like, okay, well, if you're on this end, then you have these issues. Autism has all kinds of expressions, and um, we're just now starting to have people really talk about oh, how inaccessible <laughs> that diagnosis is for many. Yeah, it's a really hard, and like I said, that's that's just my one experience with it. I was also um, an ESL kid when when I started school, and I've talked a little bit about that. Um, I think that technically falls under the, the realm of, of special education in the public school system. Uh, I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but just all we don't talk about this enough, right? Which I guess yeah. that's the that's the point of this podcast. Is, yep. is special, we don't, yeah, especially it and the whole ESL is this American centric idea that if you speak more than one language that is not English, that it's treated under the umbrella of disability, even though it's the most common thing in the world for people right. to speak multiple languages. Right. Except for here. Except Please, for here. Continue with your story. No, well, <laughs> I was just going to say when something that um, and I, I I think she I think she'd actually be a good good guest for the podcast so I won't say too much but my my oldest sister who is turning 22 this year um, and she's talked about this she's she's pretty she's fairly open about it but something that for her in high school um, school never has never come easy for her. She's never been one who like just sees a a problem and understands it. She has to go back to it and read through the problem again and like diagram it, um, um, bring it out. Like, like she, she has to focus a lot on a problem to be able to understand and solve it. Right. Um, she graduated high school with, with honors from what I remember very well despite having late nights and and having to struggle and everything and it wasn't until after she graduated high school um or right about when she was about to graduate high school that she saw a a 
doctor who, after doing some testing, told her, hey, you've got a, a learning disability with mathematics in particular. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of a miracle that you have made it as far as you have with the grades that you have. Like you should, you should not be performing as well as you do because of this learning disability. It's, it's essentially a, a form of dyslexia where she gets her numbers and signs mixed mixed up. It's yeah. not, Calculexia. it's not a, yes, yes. Um, where it's not a letter thing. It's not a sentence thing. It's, it's numbers. Right. And, and this doctor said to her, and I remember she, she came home crying. I happened to be home that weekend and she came home crying because suddenly the last eight years made sense to her. And she said, this, it's not that I remember her saying so clearly to me, I'm not stupid. Mm-hmm. I just can't understand it. And it was one of those things that we didn't even know was a thing, right? Um, again, we didn't know how to how to navigate it. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to support her. And so we started learning. We started figuring all this stuff out. Um, and... It, it's around us a lot more than we think. Uh, uh, disabilities, for for lack of, for my own ignorance and lack of a better term, disabilities are around us a lot more than we think. They're not they're not just um, somebody who who has lost a leg or an arm. They're they're not just autism or Aspergers. They they are people all around us. Most of us have some sort of disability and we just don't even realize it. We don't even understand it. We, we haven't been able to conceptualize it because we don't teach it, because we don't talk about it, because we don't uh, discuss it enough. And, and when somebody brings it up, we say, oh, well, that, that's fine. You fit in well enough with the other kids that, that you'll be okay. And mm-hmm. we don't lean into that, right? Yeah. As you're speaking, I'm like thinking about um, my oldest son who he, I guess we've, we noticed it when he was about a year and a half that his um, side of his jaw, one of the sides of his, his face was underdeveloped. Like it just wasn't developing the mm-hmm. same. And then that, we don't really know like what kind of what came first because he's also got um, a tongue tie and he had like, Mm. you know, his whole, his palate was narrow and then his, he had like a um, extreme crossbite. Mm. So he has, I mean, at one point we were seeing, um, so all of this has also caused like mouth breathing and, Mm -hmm. um, just which that we know later on down the road can cause other hosts of issues. So at one point we had an ENT. Um, at one point we had an allergist. Um, we have a myofunctional therapist. We have an orthodontist. We have our regular dentist who originally diagnosed him, um, who just kind of just keeps everything together, but just essentially a team of doctors and his 
his um, orthodontist actually, I mean, she's like researching him essentially because he's one of her most severe cases because we don't know why his jaw is underdeveloped. Um, they've explored, you know, talking about like whose fault is it and not really in like a shaming way, but they've explored like my pregnancy with him and just various different things to try to figure out why um, one side of his face isn't developed. We're supposed to go to the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia soon to get evaluated um, by just another expertise, like team of doctors. Um, he could possibly need surgery later on in life. Um, he's He's gone through different like orthodontist procedures and things. He's had like um, expanders and things like that. So he's, I mean, just in his, he's seven. So in his first few years of life has just been doctors after doctor after doctor. I mean, there was times where we had doctor's appointments once or twice, um, sometimes more in a week. And it was exhausting. And this was right before like the pandemic happened. And then, um, well, prior, well, well beyond prior to that. But I think back and I, I didn't really like, you know, cause I always have that mindset of like, well, other parents have it worse or other people, you know, this isn't really like a disability because he's able to get fixed or, but I mean, majority of his care is out of pocket. That's a whole probably separate issue. Um, of why insurance isn't covering things that are essentially vital to his health. Um, But I, even just like, as you were speaking, Kevin too, and just like having all these conversations in my head and just going through, like, I just went through this, this process because it was just what I had to do, but not taking the step back to think of how this was impacting his life. You know, how is he going through life? even if he's able to kind of, you know, function as, you know, quote unquote, normal kid, how has this really like impacted him being different and how will it impact him later on knowing that his face is going to look different, you know, because his face isn't symmetrical. So it's, it's, it's kind of just been like a lot to process and just even just as we're having this conversation, just thinking back to like just the last several years of this poor kid's life and all that he's kind of had to endure with these doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just hearing, just hearing like that, 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 that heart hurt kind of, and the story of, you know, worrying for your kid's future. It, it does remind me of the many ways that assimilation as, as survival mm-hmm. um, is just the, our default. Like yeah. we worry about being different. And most of us have learned that the best way to get through life is to not be different or to minimize our differences. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can't do that, that we somehow have to explain our difference or that we have to, um, you know, find the reason that we're different. Um, And that, you know, it's tough because people want you to explain your difference to them. They want Mm -hmm. you to justify it to them. They want you Mm -hmm. to prove to them something i don't know what but um i think about that um there's so many there's so many ways that that comes up and it is part of why some people were never told that they had a disability or some people were never told because they didn't you know they didn't want to they didn't want their kids to think less of themselves or they didn't want them to have to face certain kind of issues 
but in the same breath, um, I've, especially like right now, um, there's a Pixar uh, short, a couple of them, in fact, um, but one, one in particular, I'll, I'll have to look up the name and link to it, um, but that, that features uh, a nonverbal autistic kid as one of the central characters in the story. Um, and I just, I think so much about how many ways we have not seen ourselves on screen, even though we spend our whole lives looking at screens, how many ways we haven't seen ourselves on screen until now, um, and what kind of liberation that gives, you know? Like, what if, what if we make it normal that not everybody has the same face? What if we make it normal that everybody's bodies won't look the same? Um, what are the possibilities that happen when we make it normal that not everybody's brains work the same? Um, like, how much easier is it to think about raising kids in that kind of world where instead of teaching kids why they're the exception, we could teach the real version of diversity, <laughs> of how we all have things that are that are different and unique and so forth, and some parts of us are typical and some parts of us are not. And some parts of us are social constructs, but we don't have to do that part yet. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> right? It's a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of possibility. And I've I've really I've I've kind of been on my own journey of trying to figure out my stuff because I was raised in the household of an award-winning educator who was very atypical in the way that she taught and the ways that she accommodated students. So it, accommodation wasn't like a special thing that you needed a, a diagnosis and a form for. Like she could figure out some people are more verbal. Some people are more um, kinesthetic or do things with their bodies. Some people need to, to see an illustration. Other people need to um, talk it out. Other people need to sit quietly and process it. Like she would naturally or intentionally, maybe, I don't know, I should, I should sit down and ask her more. Um, but she would make these accommodations for her students, and, and she would always be the teacher who got the underperforming students to excel. And people were like, what kind of magic did you do? And it's really, she was just meeting people where they were and giving them what they needed to be successful. Mm -hmm. And not assuming that everyone needs to learn the exact same way. Right. Um, and so in her doing that, like she really could make amazing things happen. But I'm starting to wonder if some of the challenges that I had were me possibly having um, some neurodivergence. Um, neurodivergent just means that, you know, there's there's typical ways that that our brains think or function. And then there's ways that are divergent, ways that are different. Um, so that can be everything from autism, ADHD, ADD. Um, just the, the whole range of things that are about the ways our brains work that are different. Um, and so I'm wondering if I have some neurodivergence because when I tell you I get on TikTok <laughs> and watch these videos about ADD hacks and ADHD hacks mm -hmm. yes. and people yep. who are living with autism who share how they like experience life and the autism, the autism ones don't necessarily speak to me as much, um, mm -hmm. but the coping mechanisms definitely do. It's like, oh, that is a thing because neurodivergence isn't one little classified thing, right? right. Even right. trauma right. changes the way our brains function. Yep. Yes. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so yep. it's common to have uh, 
have chronic trauma as a way that manifests in some of the same ways that yep. uh, neurodivergent um, things like uh, um, attention deficit disorder or other things show up. So I'm like, so now I really got to like do my work and <laughs> talk to my therapist because I am really resonating with some of these things and seeing the patterns of yeah. like, oh, like always having these creative ideas, not necessarily being able to get these creative ideas done. Um, not responding to things that have consequences, but responding to things that have urgency. So yep. <laughs> like, you know, and some of these are easier for me to name because I did talk to my uh, psychotherapist or a psychologist about it. And she, she was dismissive at first, but, but I heard enough on TikTok that most people get dismissed <laughs> the first time they try to talk to a doctor about it because mm-hmm. they only have one version of what mm-hmm neurodivergence looks like or what autism Mm -hmm. looks like or what ADHD looks like and so people who have some of the other more nuanced ones especially women especially people of color um, we've learned to mask our whole lives and so white people often haven't had to do much much masking so it's more obvious (laughs) but we we've been code switching changing our language changing our posture Mm. all that stuff since birth as a survival tactic so it's normal that maybe some of the things that we do that we just think, oh, that's just me being weird that we, and we hide it and keep it to ourselves. It's just like, oh, wait, there's other people who do that. So, yeah, yeah that's interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. OK, so I'm going to admit that I just saw my therapist for the third time yesterday ever. So we love that. So, yeah. <laughs> Love to see it. Yeah. So in my second conversation, my second meeting with her, she actually brought up the fact that my undiagnosed ADHD is probably due to trauma and it's from PTSD. Um, She's like, I'm not going to say that that's exactly where it's from because it could be that even without the the trauma in your life that that you just had ADHD anyway but I had never like considered the fact that it could be from trauma and a part of PTSD which I didn't think I had but she's like "Mm, yeah I think this is what we're looking at now (laughs) yeah so You know, there are different things that I look back on growing up because I struggled also in school and math is so not my thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the weird thing is, is like I when I started college back in the days, I started off as a music major and I was acing like the music the general like performance um, classes and stuff like that. But then when it came to theory, I was struggling and failing. And my um, academic advisor was like, Hey, what's going on with your theory classes? And I was like, yeah, they're not going so great. Are they? And he's like, yeah, no, we need to do something about that. And so he's like, well, have you taken a math class recently? And I was like, no. And I'm, I said, I'm avoiding math. And he's like, oh, well, how, how well do you normally do? And I was like, yeah, not so great at math. And he's like, 
Interesting. So there, there's this correlation that I didn't know about between like math and music theory. Absolutely. So like I yep. can sit down and I can play a song and I can sing it. But when it comes to actually learning the theory behind it and learning chords, even for me, sometimes is different is difficult for me to do. But it was just one of those weird things like I had never thought of before that. Um, but also the whole like if you've had trauma as a child during those core formative years, you do there are parts of your brain that just don't connect right you know or you've had interference essentially and so I look back at that and when I was a kid though my mom did talk to my doctor about me having ADHD and he's like yep I can see it but they never went any further with it for some reason. That's great. <laughs> so it's common too. Because yeah. he's like, well, she's a girl and she's just daydreaming. Oh. Essentially was wow. what and I did I have a teacher in I think it was my third grade teacher that complained constantly to my mom about me daydreaming and not paying attention in school. And I'm like, yeah some help please you know Mm -hmm. but my mom was pretty I think she was adamant about me not taking any medication for it Mm -hmm. and back then there was only one and you know Ritalin was like the only thing back then for it um otherwise you could do dietary um measures as well but that would have entailed a little too much work for my mom I think so I, I appreciate, like, I would never, me anyway, I would never consider ADHD, like, to be a disability. But now that we have this conversation, I'm like, oh, I can kind of see it that way. So I finally, I, I see the nuance of, um, I guess, the language that we use surrounding disability. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Because there are mental health disabilities as well mm-hmm. that we haven't even talked about yet. So I feel like this is a good conversation for us to have and kind of open it up. And I guess I'm looking forward to the whole conversation more on totally. it. So Yeah. And I'm, I, I think that's so important that we like kind of wrestle with that part where there are ways that we were treated and raised and there are ways that we have been socialized to consider what disability is that usually focuses on the lack or some kind of um, brokenness in the person or the individual. Um, But instead, uh, and this is for me listening to folks like Zoe Sheets and Heather Morgan um, and countless folks on TikTok, disability is about what our society has decided is not good enough or won't be accommodated or something like that Mm. and so height can be a disability in that Mm. society says every everyone needs to be able to be this high or this Mm -hmm. tall to do things like walk up to a counter or Mm -hmm. um you know access a, a door handle then we just decide that people are disabled because they're not tall enough to reach that Mm. Right. Not because something's wrong with them per se, 
but just because, okay, well, this is just the standard and everyone who's outside that standard is quote unquote disabled. Um, okay. uh, a, um, an accommodation that we see that is normalized is things like having glasses or mm-hmm. having, you know, some kind of corrective thing for your vision. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're within a certain range, then we say, oh, you're not disabled. You just need glasses. And we normalize and we have mainstreamed the inclusion and accommodation of glasses to the point that you can drive and you can do all kinds of stuff. But without that accommodation, then you wouldn't be included into the things that we often require in society, like being able to read things and and so forth that require vision intensive tasks. But when there's a when there's a um, a a neural challenge to processing information visually then we say oh no that's disability oh Mm -hmm. you you can't just look at this and and see it the way everyone quote unquote everyone else does that's a disability it's like no like neurodivergent brains are literally processing things with different parts of the brain than what we're used to Mm -hmm. and because of that that is why there's so much creativity and so much unusual like surprise answers and things that get found but unless we're able to mask it and make it look like we're processing the way other people do, that's when um, that's when we're like, oh no, that's wrong. And yeah, there, there's 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 theory around this. Then there's the social implications around this. Then there's our own internalized stigma around right. it. Like yeah. I don't right. want to be disabled. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Or we think of some like sob story that is played up to the audiences of people with mm-hmm. uh, able-bodied people or able mm. people. Um, Cause again, like my friends who, for example, are blind, aren't sitting around thinking about, Oh, wait until we get to heaven so I can see like mm-hmm. they love their lives. They're not, they're not over there like wishing they had something or feeling less complete or less in the image and likeness of God. But I, but I often hear you know, some of our songs, cringe, cringe, um, <laughs> leaning on on these ideas of, well, the the most blessed you can be is to be a person with sight. And it's mm-hmm. just like, but we know that so many wonderful, amazing things come out of people who experience the world differently. Yeah. You know, Um so, yeah, I just I think about there's so many implications of this in our spirituality, in our understanding of scripture and our ways that we like raise our families and the ways that we communicate with each other, the ways that we use words like the word crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The the R word, you know, yes. like there's so many things that um, that I've been trying to lean into and not being, uh, see, I almost said it. It's like, to, and, and not being racist and not being ableist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, I am I am ableist and I am working on my ableism. Mm-hmm. Um right. but to to learn that some of if I mean something is wild, then I should say it's wild. I shouldn't say it's crazy. Right. Yeah. It's it's funny. I think I've talked about it here before. Um we've we've taught our kids to to well, we've taught our kids that crazy is not a nice word. And calling somebody weird is not a nice thing. 
and so it's really funny to to watch them interact with with other people mm-hmm. when they say something's crazy mm. because like they will just speak up and say excuse me crazy is not a nice word mm-hmm. and what are you gonna say to a five-year-old or a four-year-old <laughs> or a two-year-old right like every single person goes oh you're right i'm sorry like so so we understand it mm-hmm. like at a base level we understand crazy is not a nice word um when we were signing the closing documents for our house, our our realtor said that something was crazy and she immediately caught herself because our kids had like pounded this into her. Yes. <laughs> and she immediately caught herself and she said, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, crazy is not a nice word. It's really wild. <laughs> and like yeah. she changed the word around and so so i think we as a society understand that ableism in general is not a nice thing it's not a good thing it's not something that we should strive to but we we are ableist in the stupidest ways i remember um we're ableist last... by default just like our society right. is racist by default right yeah. exactly like yeah. like it's just it just is the way it is um but i remember at the last church I was at, um, we were we were doing a bunch of renovations to to our worship center, and I mean it ended up being about one hundred fifty thousand dollars or something. And one of the things that we were doing is we were building a new media booth, right? Uh, all the computers and and soundboard mm-hmm. and everything was going to be there, and there was going to be about a six inch rise from ground floor to the booth itself. And the inspector came in and he said, hey, you need to put a ramp in here. And it can be a removable thing. It can be, it can just, you know, be temporary, whatever. It doesn't have to be a permanent ramp, but you have to have some sort of thing where somebody in a wheelchair can get up into your booth in case somebody in a wheelchair ever wants to be on your team. Like, that's just the law. That's the mm-hmm. way it's written. That's what has to be. And the pastor, I'm I'm very sorry to say, the pastor fought that. And and it was it was it what should have been a very simple thing ended up being like a three-month-long fight where he, where the pastor just lost his mind and and was like, well, we don't even have anybody in a wheelchair in our church. And, and I mean, on the off chance that somebody in a wheelchair does come to our church, what are the chances that they're going to work, that they're going to want to work on the media team? And, and why would we ever do that? Why, why do we have to spend the, it was like a thousand dollars. All to the buy justifications. A <laughs> All the justifications. Why would I ever want to make my my church a space where someone who has a mobility device right. wants to come in? <laughs> right. How dare they? And and I remember kind of going through that ordeal, and I remember saying to him, "This is such a simple request to show love to our, to to people, to anybody, to whoever wants to. Like, why would we not?" And then I remember when I visited the current church, uh, the, the church that I'm at right now, 
And the the very first Sunday, the Sunday that my wife and I visited the church, um, I looked over and in the in the section next to us, there was a lady who was uh, who was signing. She she was interpreting every single spoken word into sign language. And I asked the pastor afterward, I said, hey, what's up with that? Like, do we have a deaf community that comes to the church? Do do we live stream that? Like, what? Like, why is she there? And he said, no, there is there's one member of our church who is hard of hearing. And he is legally deaf. And when he was a kid and, and his parents realized that, that he was deaf, they started paying for an interpreter to come and, and interpret the services into sign language for him. Wow. And about 10 years ago, we just took over that responsibility. Mm. We just said to the family, hey, you don't have to worry about it. And, and, and he said it, it happened obviously before I got here, he said, but he goes, we just took over that responsibility and said, Hey, this is a very simple way that we can love your family, Mm -hmm. that we can love your son and any of his friends and anybody else who comes. And to this day there, he is the only deaf person who, who comes to our service. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have tried, and he and and our pastor has tried to convince this interpreter to to allow us to like live stream her alongside the the actual live stream of the church, and she just doesn't she doesn't feel comfortable enough to do it. Yeah, but she's there every single week, mm-hmm. and we pay her some something. But the differences between the first church where the pastor was like, why would we ever do this for somebody who might never come? And this church who says, yeah, it's only one person, but we can show love really, really well to that one person. I mean, that whole leaving the 99 to for the one. Why are exactly, we being so literal that's all in the Bible? <laughs> that's, no, but that that's all it is, is we don't have to jump through hoops it's 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 a simple matter of just showing love and saying hey we want you to experience the fullness of god or or if we're talking about a secular you know secular setting we want you to experience the fullness of this rock concert or of this seminar or of this community whatever that community is we want you to experience the fullness of it and to do that, we're going to put in ramps up to the sidewalk. Like, how easy is that? And people lose their minds fighting against stuff like that. And I'm like, why Why are you so myopic? Why are you so selfish? I, I, I literally do not understand because chances are that there is somebody in your family that would benefit from that right there, right now. But how many people? Yeah, go ahead. How many people is justifiable to make accommodations? Like, Mm -hmm. because if one isn't enough, like, like, 
is it two? Was it three? Is it four five? Like we can get into this game of like mm-hmm. when there's a certain amount or do you act proactively to ensure that your, your space, your church is inclusive. Mm-hmm. Right. And really proactive action is the way. Right. Um, the fact that the fact that we have the Americans with Disabilities Act signed into law and that it changed things like building codes to require ramps and elevators and so forth. Most of us are the primary beneficiaries of that. Think about how many times you you've hopped in an elevator when there were stairs stairs available. Yeah. Think of how many times you turned on closed <laughs> captioning because you didn't catch what those words were in that certain film that you liked with the really mumbly dialogue. Think about how many times that you've appreciated not having to step two feet up to get onto a curb because they had cutouts at the at the intersections. Like all of us are the primary beneficiaries. I'll take it a step further. Think about how many times you watch the as seen on TV commercials with the thing that's like, oh, that's so lazy. That's so <laughs> yeah. like, why would you need something to help you put your sock right. on? Because yeah. not everybody has the same um, finger dexterity. Yeah. And yeah. half the yeah. times those products were originally developed for accessibility for people. And because the only way to get it affordable is to make it and market it toward the general public so that in mm-hmm. the general public buying it as a as a you know as a way to again quote unquote be lazy or as a casual thing it means that it also can be affordable for people to get the things that help them access their everyday life like those little can openers or mm-hmm. or the special little glasses or whatever it is yeah. and that's the part that I, that just keeps like really like kind of rocking my world like when I think about how many things did my mom do that were helping that were helping me to access the world that maybe that was just an accommodation and I didn't realize it (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know like because again the 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 ways that the ways that I think this is going to really be a, a battleground in the church because there's so many things that we're used to doing that are driven completely by money Mm-hmm. Yep. The the it wasn't yep. that we don't believe in ramps. It was that we don't believe in spending a thousand dollars on a ramp. Yep. Yep. It wasn't that we don't that oh well we won't be able to fit enough people in the congregation and if we have a ramp oh no we just don't want to pay for it. Yeah. And we're rather prioritize the dollars of people coming in and not you know for the yeah. sake of the ramp. Like there's so many ways that that yep. money has really determined who is able. And who is disabled. Because if you have enough money, you can get your surgeries done. Mm -hmm. If you have enough money, you can get your, get your, your, your look together to have the Mm -hmm. high paying jobs and so forth. But if you don't, then you won't be able to work in certain fields and you won't be able to access certain things. And it, and it wouldn't be right. Right. We like, well, why are you spending money on cosmetic surgery? That's just extra. But pretty much every news anchor you've seen, every mm-hmm. <laughs> every every CEO has had their teeth done, all this other stuff, because they had money. But we we penalize and we and we poptize. Um, maybe that's a word. But we make poor people for not being able to afford yeah. the the things that we consider to be extra 
or the things that we consider to be unnecessary, but if you can afford it, you can do it. Right. And so things like ADHD medication isn't accessible to everyone because that's extra. Mm-hmm. Healthcare in the U.S. isn't accessible to everyone because that's a privilege. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and Sarah, tell me, I want, I want to hear from Sarah here. Um, I grew up watching literally everything with the captions on. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing my parents did with a new TV was figure out how to turn on the closed caption. And then, and, and like, I still do it. Like Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, like whatever it is. I'm like, ooh, captions on. I don't care if I've got my headphones in. Like, I need the captions on. And and I read somewhere a few years ago that that was that's a very that's very much a, an ESL thing. Um, Sarah, help me out here. Did did you do that? Do you do that? Is that just my family that's that does that, or is that like a a universal? thing that that people do who are learning English as a second language my so like my grandparents had it now I don't know if it was because you know of hearing or um just trying to because they they could read um in English better than you know sometimes hearing um English especially in different accents um, I mean, me personally, English is my first language, which is interesting because I do that with Spanish mm-hmm. so that I can read it and, and interpret it better. But um, but yeah, I remember them having the captions on, but I don't I don't know like which if it was both or which one. But that was Got just it. something that was always like <laughs> you had the captions on and the okay. TV and in every single room. That's just how they operated. But she described exactly how a lot of our brains work. Like reading a language is typically, um, reading a a second language is typically easier before hearing that language Mm -hmm. is. Um, And so, again. Especially how fast people speak. People speak Like English or Spanish. And because of this accessibility law, all these other groups that weren't considered in the law are also benefiting. Mm. Like it's profound how many things are just accommodations that we don't think of as accommodations yeah. or we use them in some, uh, some way that is, that is accommodating us. There was like, Oh, Oh, that's not a, again, we say, Oh, not, not speaking the language isn't a disability. But there's an accommodation for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm even thinking of like my my driver's license, which says that I can't drive without glasses. Same. I, I without glasses, I'm I'm effectively disabled. I I can't do anything. I can't see more than literally six inches in front of my face. But I don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Right? right because i've uh, darren you said it i've got i've got the money i've got the privilege to be able to afford contacts or glasses or some sort of accommodation to be able to do to live life right but there's people who can't 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think especially I, I, the corporate world almost has to do it. The secular world almost has to do it because they they live by the rules of the government. Well, go ahead. Well, I'll let you finish your thought. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Call me here. The, the corporate world almost has to do it, whether or not they do, but they almost have to. But the church gets to, I'll say, forget all those rules. And, and the church gets to uh, skip around these regulations and forget about all of these different things that, that really open up the access to everybody around us. Um, when really we should be embracing all these things mm-hmm. because it means that more people will be able to, to experience what, 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 God has for them, right? To put it in the most Christian way possible. <laughs> an, an ableist Christian way, but yes. <laughs> right, right. But, but you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying where in the church, we, we again, go back to the money. Mm-hmm. It's not that it takes up too much space. It's not that it's too inconvenient. It's not that whatever. It's that an elevator costs money to put in. And a ramp costs money to put in, and and um, a closed loop system for hearing aids costs money to put in, and that's money that could go to salaries, or could go to a building, or could go it's to usually the know, building. We don't care that much about paying people. That's <laughs> um, but could go to these other things. And who cares if if we have a closed loop system for anybody with a hearing aid? Which, by the way, I was again pleasantly surprised to hear that when we when my current church updated the worship center, the first thing to go in was a closed loop system yeah. for anybody with hearing aids. Which, again, at my previous church, was something that. I fought with the pastor about the lead pastor about, and he kept saying, it's too expensive. Find something cheaper. It's too much money. Find something that doesn't cost as much. And I'm like, this is such a simple thing. (laughs) And we're fighting over dollar figures. Yeah. Because we can. (laughs) And this is where it goes back to this thing about like what the laws say because um, the laws are still very narrow in their focus. Like the laws mm-hmm. still only cover a couple things. Um, and the the drive of so much of what our society is built around is around the idea that we need workers who can work in a factory and do these repetitive tasks um, during these certain hours of the day. And that the the industrialization shift really changed what it meant to be productive. Mm-hmm. Um and again, I, I need to like just do a list of TikTokers because I'm I'm I am not the originator of any of these thoughts. Um, but the ways that uh, neurodivergent folks are great in nature, the ways that um, there are like in history, um, there was a recognition, just like there was a recognition that queerness often meant like a special spiritual gift. Um, neurodivergence indicated like a special gift for things like being 
super knowledgeable about certain plants, being super knowledgeable about certain animals. Like these people were revered for their differences and there was mm-hmm. space for them in their differences. But now that we're living in a society that says everyone needs to go and work at a certain job for nine to five, even though that's not how our society works anymore. Like mm-hmm. right. <laughs> we, we're not, we're post-industrial. We don't need factory workers anymore. Not the way we used to, but we're still training people. Our school systems are still built around the same things that, that were about factories. Um, public schools were about factories, like all of this. And now we don't need that anymore. So we have these people who are in this growing despair because they've been trained to see themselves as useful in a very certain way and never been explored, never been encouraged to explore their own unique giftedness, their own unique ways of being, never, never encouraged to work things out their own way. They were taught to follow directions Mm -hmm. and to only follow directions. And now we've got this growing economy of thought workers, of intellectual workers who have never been given space to think and never been mm-hmm. given space to problem solve and never been given space to like be themselves. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, in my in my ongoing anti-capitalism rant, I do think we're <laughs> going to see a, a fall of a lot of the structures that exist um, because we have prioritized money. And so that means that. Mm-hmm. You know, the pandemic is a huge example. Mm-hmm. Everyone said you cannot work from home. Mm-hmm. You cannot have meetings online. You cannot do things without all coming into the office mm-hmm. every day to yeah. make it happen. And then when it was the only way to make money, suddenly everyone had Everything. access to buying desks the for their home, all the accommodations. Yeah. Suddenly Zoom decided, oh, we should finally put in closed captioning. Um, yep. You know, just a little shade there. Um, <laughs> YouTube and Facebook also decided, oh, we'll turn on um, close the, their automated captionings by default. Yep. Shout out to everybody. Automated captions are actually not great, but they're better than nothing. They're better than nothing. <laughs> because we still need punctuation. We still need like, <laughs> things that auto captions don't do besides the huge number of, of textual right. errors and, and spelling errors that happen. Um, so yeah, yes, it's but good it's, that it's there, but it's not right. at all. You can't, you can't tell somebody, Oh, well it'll be auto captioned and expect them to like really be happy about that. Right. <laughs> right. But I said all that to I, a, a long time ago before I got into this current rant, I was thinking about um, my own ableism again, because it's all about me um, and <laughs> how I have I have internally struggled with how often I allow videos to go up in my church that don't have open captions. Mm. And. Some of that okay, is now, okay. Okay, hold on. Now ahead, you're attacking. Now, now you're attacking me. Now you're convicting I'm loud. me. I don't like. <laughs> I'm yelling at all of us by calling yeah, myself. Look, I'm out. just like, ooh, I'm getting called out right now. <laughs> yeah, you you said that, and I'm like, oh, I've got to fix something for next week. <laughs> and I literally for the first time recently, and this wasn't even a church thing that I just did, but I just recently was trying to clean up the audio on um, on a clip uh, for a friend. They did a documentary, and we were just sh- going to show this little clip. And the audio that was recorded had, like, a bunch of fans and background noises. So even if, you're, if you don't have any hearing challenges, 
um, you weren't going to be able to hear it very well. And me as an audio tech person was doing my best to accommodate that. And I was like, you know, even with all the fixes, this is going to need captions. So I did captions. But that, but my captions weren't because everyone needs to be able to access this. My captions were because I was finally inconvenienced enough <laughs> to realize that captions would really be useful right now. And mm-hmm. so I am yelling all the things with full of full grace, but also yelling at myself like, yeah, like, look how easy that is for me to opt in to captions and how long I've like had the technical ability, but often said I don't have the time um, mm-hmm. to caption because it, it was it was like a, a minute and 30 second clip. It took me probably an hour to do all the work that I did on that clip. But I was like, yeah. How many times have I just said, oh, I don't have time? Right. And right. as long as it wasn't a complete inconvenience to me that I've um, and I'm, I'm going to um, I'm going to ask her to come on the show. I, I have uh, a congregant who um, is hard of hearing um, and who does ASL interpretation. Um, and it was like, this would be so useful to her. And she's super gracious. And she um, mm-hmm. she does have ways that she's, you know, uh, making her own accommodations but like i'm inviting her and others to really like keep holding me to the fire so that i can advocate on their behalf because it's the worst thing is not only are you having to advocate for yourself but also having to convince people that what you're saying is even reasonable mm-hmm. it's like that shouldn't be on you that should be me i'm the ally i need to i need to be the the, the mule on that i need to carry that weight right. um and so again, like it's the it's the part where we have to sit with those uncomfortable realities, those uncomfortable truths, and go, "Ooh, I am ableist. I am right. hardcore mm-hmm. ableist." And the yeah. only way that I'm going to get better is to own my ableism, to name mm-hmm. it, and call it out over and over and over until I do something about it. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And that's everything for me: changing my language and choosing better words to uh, being more aware. Like when I do invite, uh, I have a friend who, um, who doesn't, he doesn't have speech, um, and he uh, is he's he uses a, a wheelchair at all times, and he um, has a he has a companion like a, a paid person who is always with him to to help him navigate. Um, he's an adult. He has a he has an advanced degree. But he doesn't have speech, and you know he has he has other things that um, make him atypical. Um, and so, me inviting him to my church means I have to know every place that there is a level difference to know if his chair can get over it. Like right now, mm-hmm. could you walk through what it means for somebody to get from the, whatever vehicle they got there in to the church in your in your so to a seat in your church? Could you? describe for them every level change could you describe for them every door handle and how they work (laughs) could you describe for them what the what the sidewalks are like around the building because a lot of times we only think of oh yeah we have that one spot where you can sit if you have a wheelchair in our in our sanctuary but we we typically don't know the information that they need to figure out um 
accessibility. So there's a thing called an, an accessibility audit that you can do, um, and there's it's open source. I'm pretty sure if you Google it, it'll come up. But I'll try to have a link in the show notes. Um, but I am I'm trying to become an ally because I can't even declare myself an ally. But I'm trying to become an ally to um, to my friends who are living with disabilities, and to first just be aware for me to realize that if I hand the the lyrics to the interpreter the day of. I'm I've, I'm two months late on handing them the lyrics. Right. They need to have already been um, listening for to do ASL interpretation. It's interpretation. <laughs> they need mm-hmm. to be listening and understanding mm-hmm. how they want to communicate that song, because songs mm-hmm. are full of illustrations and words that aren't literal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they need time to sit with that, which means I need to have my stuff together in advance <laughs> <laughs> to really make it accessible and not have them like like just trying to freewheel it real time um yeah. or things like the like the captioning on videos because you know i i tend to download the videos so that i don't have an issue but if the captions only exist on youtube then i might have to make some different choices yeah. um and i'm and i'm again i'm i'm exposing myself so that others can feel feel mm-hmm. that call from god mm-hmm. <laughs> to think a little bit d- deeper and wider and i'm gonna bring some folks on who are not gonna pull punches <laughs> like we are gonna get our toes crunched by some wheelchairs in mm-hmm. jesus name that's, great. that's what we're here for. <laughs> right. in jesus name so um well, yeah and i i did want to say before before we uh finish up here um youtube it really is an amazing piece of technology in that, and I've known this, and I'm I'm kicking myself right now, um, because because I'm I'm like realizing exactly how ableist I am, right? Just just like what you were saying, but YouTube, when you upload a video after it finishes processing, it gives you the option to turn on closed captions, mm-hmm. and so of course I always turn that on i always say yes i'm like yeah absolutely but once you enable them it gives you the chance to go back and edit those captions mm-hmm. and it does it by 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 uh, uh time key yep. or time code right and as bad as those captions are they're actually they're they're pretty pretty dang good yeah, it, where, it gives you a solid basis. You're just making yeah, corrections. Yeah, it, it really does. You're making corrections and maybe changing a word or two where all I would have to do is listen back through the through the service or through the announcement video, you know, whatever it is, through the two-minute announcement video and just listen back through it and put in punctuation where needed and and change the change the occasional word and I'd be done. Um, and then you can also, by the way, for every, for anybody listening who does media, you can also download those captions yep. to then post literally anywhere else. Yep. I and I had missed the part where you could <laughs> download the captions because I should have been doing that a long time ago. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. You, yeah. No. That's again. That's something that like I've known for months Mm -hmm. like since since we started live streaming 
uh, because we started live streaming uh, right after the pandemic, right after quarantine and the shutdown started and everything. That's when we started live streaming. I've known that since that point right there. And I've always looked at it like, I, I have so much going on and I've got so much other stuff to do. I'll just, whenever I get an intern or whenever there's somebody who's part-time or like whenever we hire a media director, they'll do it. They can take care of that. And I'm like, no, it would literally take an hour out of my week to just listen back through the service, make corrections as necessary. And so anyway, this is a challenge to anybody listening who also does media, or even if you don't, just like tell your media guy, be the advocate, be the ally and say, hey, this is something we should do because there are people out there looking for it. There are people out there who need it and who want it. And again, if our mission is to get the word out to to the entire world that God loves them, then what's an hour out of our week? Mm-hmm. You you can spare one hour. You can spare half an hour. You can spare two minutes. Or we can cast a wider vision. Like we can think about we could. what do I need to cut back on so that I have right. time to do this? Because clearly right. we're busy, but what 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 opportunity to create more volunteer roles or to in, increase really low key you need to be advocate, advocating for some staff but what opportunities are there <laughs> to expand what we think of as essential to ministry because most of us have churches that would not say oh well we don't have to have a worship leader right but how many churches would say we have to have somebody who can be working with accommodations and inclusion mm-hmm. right you know, without it being mandated by the federal government that we say, we oh, we don't want the government telling us what to do. Well, let's do it. Let's be the example. Let's, let's <laughs> we, should, we should be leading the government, right. not the government leading us. Right. And my wife also just just uh, uh, convicted me even further. She's been listening to this conversation as we record um, for our our we call it mega sports camp. It's kind of our VBS week. Mm-hmm. I took a bunch of videos uh, for Instagram where I asked just different campers, different coaches, different, just different people. And I asked them, Hey, what's your favorite part of mega sports camp? And they answered, right. It was just really quick segments. Mm-hmm. And that night, the night that I was doing that, she texted me as I was uploading these things, she texted me and she goes, Hey, you should put captions on these things. Mm-hmm. And I gave back some answer like, well, that'll take too long. I, mm-hmm. I, I said, yeah, I should, but that'll take too long. And I'm just trying to, like, I'm just doing these really quick, just like quick fire. And she just brought it up again. And I'm like, you know what? Those would have taken probably three, four minutes each. Yeah. I could have done that. And I mean, just, you know, just just God, it's God convicting me of my <laughs> sinful ways every day. I mean, the TikTok generation can convict you, too, because even before TikTok incorporated some automation, Absolutely. they were yep. doing it by hand Yeah, in every video. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I do, a, I do it by them. hand for other. I do it by, by hand for other videos. Mm-hmm. But just for that one thing, I was like, eh, we don't need it. They're 10 second videos. It's fine. Mm hmm. I think it'd be interesting to hear from our listeners reasons 
why they are at home and not mm. in church. Mm-hmm. What's keeping you from attending? Is it mm. accommodation, physical accommodations? Is it, you know, whatever? Is it that you can't hear or see or, you know, do you need an interpreter? Is it, what is it that you are missing from church and why aren't you going? I think that would be, I realize that that's asking other people to do the work for us also at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> We, we are open to, to correct that, but like, what what is keeping you from attending church? Like, mm-hmm. I have my own reason for not being in church. That's completely different, though. So, what are your reasons? Like, send us a message. Tell us why why aren't you in church? If you want to be in church, what is the reason for not being there? If it's a disability that's holding you back. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're waiting in some waters because I'm already like, yeah, we're gonna need to launch launch some fundraising goals because I want to make this podcast more accessible. And, I was mm, I was gonna yeah. say like like <laughs> Stacy, you're asking that, and I'm like, how can we make this podcast? Yeah, like more more. So also, if you're a listener and you want to transcribe our podcasts (laughs) feel free to shoot us an email or send us a message because it it takes a village right we we can work together and there's there's places that that do um transcription transcription is is cheaper than uh captioning um but uh but yeah that's a that's a thing that i'm i'm going to to work toward making happen. I need to do that. We all do. We all do. Yeah. So we are off. We are off to a start on our conversation about <laughs> accessibility, disability, and and life in and outside of the church. Um, I think it's really clear that we've got a lot to learn and we will make mistakes. So please call mm-hmm. us out. Let us know what language that is problematic for you. Um, knowing that, again, like there's there's conversation around deaf with a capital D and deaf with a small d. There's conversations around disabled versus differently abled versus all kinds of things. Um, so I, there's a lot there's a lot of room for, for us to, to make mistakes. And the only way that we're going to grow is to be open and honest about that. So um, we're going to work on having a great line up of guests to be on who can speak in first person from their experiences um, and so that we can listen and learn and continue on this road to figure out how do we really be a church for all of God's people? How do we create communities that are inclusive of everyone, again, inside and outside of the church? So thank you for joining us once again for the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. Um, we hope that we do hear from you on the question that Stacy asked. And uh, yeah, if you uh, if you have some folks that you think you'd love to hear us chat with sometime, drop us an email at theclrpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.
as long as you want. Oh, don't say that because I, I will keep us up till three in the morning. I didn't say I was going to stay on the whole time. It's but you said o'clock. <laughs> right. Well, well, I got a Jack, birthday Jack, party Jack, in the morning. I, I have to actually lead worship in person tomorrow, and I still don't know how I feel about that. 